Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Embarrassing. I tell you, that is how tired I am today. I can't walk. I walked out without my coat this morning. I, uh, I want to begin by saying thank you. Thank you for your patience. Uh, my, my family and I have been gone more than we have been here for the past month. And some of that was by choice and some of that was by necessity. But in all of it, you have been uh, generous and checking on us and praying for us and loving us. And uh, we are especially thankful for our, our community. Uh, we are reminded quite often what a blessing we have being here. And so thank you. Thank you for that. And uh, say some prayers of gratitude to God that things have worked out with Tiffany's family uh, in the ways that they have. It, it, God has shown himself to be in control, and that is always a good thing, because when God's in control, as he always is, uh, things are going to work out for good. So thank you again. Uh, we are going to be continuing on in our series, which is based off of Acts 2.42, uh, which I'll go ahead and put up on the screen again to remind you what we're talking about as if you don't have it memorized by this point which is they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we are continuing on in our discussion of fellowship and what that means. And today I want to talk about how fellowship is expressed in worship. That is something we have touched on in this series of lessons, but not something we've spent a lot of time on and so I want to spend a little bit of time on that today. And then we'll have one more lesson on fellowship coming up, which is just going to be a practical look at how we can better express fellowship in our daily lives and in the way that we live as Christians. Because I think sometimes I have a habit of getting more 20,000-foot uh, view and looking at the principles, but I don't always get, dig down into the details of daily living and I want to make sure to do that before we finish with this topic this month. Uh, worship itself is something that I think we fairly well understand. Uh, as you start digging into the concept of, of worship, we tend to have all been taught that there are five parts of worship, right? Everybody this familiar? Yes, no? I'm going to need moving. If I have to keep moving up here as tired as I am, I'm going to make you keep moving in your pews so that I know that I'm, you know, speaking to someone listening. Uh, so five parts of worship. We have five parts of a lot of things, and I think that's because we have five fingers. Uh, had we been born with six fingers, we'd have six parts of everything. But we have five parts of worship that we tend to think about, and we think about uh, the preaching, the singing, the praying, the Lord's Supper, and the contribution. Those are the five things that we typically uh, reference. And, and they're all based off of different commands from Scripture, like Paul telling Timothy that he needed to be ready to preach the word in season and out of season there in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. And we have those passages in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3, which talked about us 
teaching one another and giving thanks to God through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so that concept of us as a, as a group coming to God and singing songs of praise and thanksgiving and singing songs about God's story to one another, that's something we practice regularly and have been practicing even today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we've got that a long explanation from Paul to the church there that they were gathering together in error in some ways, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. Uh, but there, the Lord's Supper is explained in detail, that he received from the Lord these teachings about what happened that last night before Jesus was betrayed. And he gathered with the disciples, and they broke the bread, and they drank the, the fruit of the vine, and they did that in remembrance of Jesus. And we, Paul even goes on to explain that in that practice, we are to be examining ourselves and making sure that we are partaking of that supper in a proper way. And that's a passage we read fairly often, even as we gather together to practice that very part of worship. Uh, the collection. Uh, Elijah chose a much better passage than I did, uh, going to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and reading that chapter for us this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is where Paul first gave the directions regarding the collection to the Corinthian brethren in, in that letter uh, that we call 1 Corinthians. And so that's something we do regularly. We gather together and we pull our funds together so that we might take care of the needs of the local congregation. And then we're told that we need to pray. Uh, our very key passage that we're talking about in this sermon series says they continually devoted themselves to prayer. And so we know that the early church engaged in these five activities and so we engage in these five activities. But it is interesting to me how few examples you actually have in the New Testament of collective worship. Considering the amount of emphasis we place on the weekly gathering of God's people, you would think that the New Testament was filled with examples of them doing this and what they did together and how those occasions happened, but it's, it's not. I, I kind of briefly went through my Bible. You've got an example there in Acts chapter 4 of them gathering together when Peter and John have gotten out of jail and the congregation there prays with one voice. So maybe that is an example of their collective worship, but not in the same sense of what we do on a Sunday morning. Uh, Acts chapter 12, you've got the Christians there, uh, and, and they've gathered together to pray regarding, uh, of, I think in that case it's uh, Peter in, in jail in Acts chapter 12. Uh, and so you've got the story there, you'll remember uh, the servant girl goes and and here's the door knock, someone knocking on the door and opens the door and it's Peter and she slams it and tells everyone that his ghost has appeared. Uh, and so you've got that occasion of them gathering together. Acts chapter 20 is probably one of the only clear-cut, easy-to-understand 
passages where we have a worship service described where Paul has come into town and he preaches until midnight and a, a, a boy falls out the upstairs window and he is dead and Paul goes down and revives him and then they eat together and Paul continues to speak with them until daybreak before he leaves the next morning. So maybe that, and, and we know that is a worship service because it happens on the first day of the week and it makes a big deal about that there in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. So there's an example. 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 are some specific teachings regarding their assemblies. Uh, there you've got it begins with the, with the teaching on the head covering and then it moves on to that teaching about the Lord's Supper and what they were supposed to do. And then chapter 12 deals with their use of spiritual gifts in their assembly. And chapter 13 deals with their bad attitudes and what their attitudes should be. They should be loving one another. And then chapter 14 gets into a, a long list of rules and guidelines that they need to follow as they practice their spiritual gifts together in their assemblies. Hebrews chapter 10 tells them not to neglect the assemblies. And Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that we should continually offer the fruit of our lips, the praise to God. But how many examples do we actually have of them gathered to worship? I'm not saying it's not an important thing to do. And one example is enough. Uh, I, I'm, that, that is, you know, Acts chapter 20 is enough for me to come every single Sunday and gather together with people who love God and love me and who I love and we can worship God together. That, that is a absolutely uh, perfect understanding of things. But it is still intriguing to me the absence of information that is there. None of those examples show all five acts of worship taking place in one meeting. Although I have heard preachers say that if you do not do all five, it is not worship. And I wonder where they get that from. I also find that as you dig through not just scripture, but you look through early Christian writings, many of their practices were different than ours. We're actually going to spend some time talking about that over the next several months as we dig into understanding better the breaking of bread and talk about the way that they would worship back in the first century. What makes all of this interesting to me, though, is not the fact that we do gather to worship. Nobody is, is arguing that we shouldn't. What makes it interesting to me is just how specific and opinionated we are about how we do what we do when we worship. We are very particular about what we should be doing and how we should do it and what is the right versus the wrong way when the truth is we are not given a lot of instructions on how to do those things. We are giving one very bold instruction, which we'll get to in a few moments, but as a whole, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of possibilities in there. Much of what we do, we do based on tradition. And, and I'll give you some examples. This seating arrangement, 
where we sit in pews and we look at the back of someone else's head is a traditional way for us to gather together to worship. But it is not a mandated way for us to gather together to worship. Yet I I know people who are highly uncomfortable if we were to say, you know what, we are yanking out every pew and we are putting in chairs in 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 a large square Ah, Adam. But none of that's mandated. Honestly, we have the arrangements in our buildings that we have, not because I am convinced it is the best thing for worship, but because it is the traditional way to worship. It's what we've adopted from denominational churches over the centuries. You'd be hard-pressed to convince me that any of those five parts of worship I have listed up there on the screen work better in this seating arrangement. Let me give you a really simple example. You know how easy it would be to take a tray and pass it from person to person if we all sat in a circle? You know how hard it is if Chris has to get up off of his seat to walk across the aisle to hand it over to Richard? That's why we have people hand it out. Makes it easier. But the only reason we have to have people handed out that way is because of our seating arrangement. And so what we do, we do not because it's best, but because it is accepted. Or, or maybe you can think about it in the ways that are, are, are acceptable, are, are approved times. The double worship assembly concept that we've got. Uh, the, the morning and the evening on Sunday. I'm not disagreeing with those. I, I think there are great opportunities that are gained by meeting on Sunday night. But there is a, a, a idea that if you don't meet on Sunday night, you are absolutely just have gone off your rocker, and that's not true. There's a lot of great, faithful churches who have decided to use the evening Sunday time for other things, and that's Okay. I've been a part of congregations that have decided to stop having Sunday evening worship, and they were blackballed by brethren. Why? Not because it is the mandated scriptural thing to do, but it's because it's what we're used to. And we've got to be careful about that. I think a lot of the things that we do, we do more based off of expediency than off of what is right and wrong. The double assembly is actually an example of that. You know where that comes from. The best I can find through research, we started having double assemblies as a manner of convenience during the wars, the great wars, in order to allow Christians who worked shift work to have an opportunity to come together with Christians. And when that need had diminished, we thought, hey, we're already getting together twice. Instead of doing one or the other, come do both. And so we started doing both. Not saying that's a wrong decision, I'm saying it is not a biblically mandated decision. And there are things we do like that. Uh, the, the passing of the Lord's Supper, the way we do that. 
It would be just as, as easy to take this Lord's Supper and place a, a table on each of these back walls and have people go get it for themselves. Or, or maybe, as a lot of churches have had to start doing because of the pandemic, uh, they have it in a basket in the back and you carry it with you to your seat in those little prepared, uh, awful-tasting little prepackaged cups. And, and, and that way, they just say a prayer and then everybody pops open their bread sleeve and they, they eat, the, eat the bread. Is that an acceptable way to pass out the supper? Yes. A lot of churches have gone because of the pandemic, and they no longer take up a collection in trays, but they put a basket or a box in the back, and people just drop off their, uh, their contribution in the box. So there's no collection for that at all. Now, I know some people who have had major issues with that. But there's nothing wrong with that. If people have an opportunity to support the work of the Lord, that's all that's really mandated. Well, buildings and classrooms, all expediency. The fact that we had this building in the first place is, is merely a convenience. And the fact that we have all of these nice classrooms back there, they're wonderful. And our teachers do a fantastic job using those spaces to teach our children the Word of God, but they are not necessary. And you can survive as a group of God's people without them. And I would dare say a lot of the things that we do, we do more based on comfort than we do anything else. You know, the reason we divide all of our children up into age-segregated classrooms it's not because that's necessary. And I would even argue not always even the best thing. Uh, it can create cliques and, and division among the young people where I have seen in congregations where you've got this one group, this one age that are extremely faithful, and then the next generation's not faithful at all because they were so separated from one another by the classroom divisions over the years. So maybe that's not a good thing in every case. And we need to have the liberty to be able to make those decisions based on what is best for our children. I love four-part harmony. But four-part harmony is created for comfort. It's so that my deep-voiced voice doesn't have to sing way up here. Because that'd be uncomfortable and sound horrible, as I just proved to you. You know, I mean, that, that, all of that is there in order to create those things. And I'm going to tell you what I, my, my, the thing that I find most distressing about all of it is this. They create an individual mindset instead of a collective mindset when it comes to worship. Our seating arrangements here is not designed to bring us together to worship and see one another's faces and to be able to really come together as a people. They are designed to make you listen silently to me. And that's not really always best. Uh, it, I, I, 
Over the years, I, I have loved when I've been able to see other people's faces when I worship. I don't know about you. I always am able to find somebody in a congregation who is truly roused and moved by the words we're singing. You can see it on their face. You can see the joy in their eyes as they sing the song. And if I can key in on that, that reminds me that my heart should be connected to this song. And so by coming together to worship as a, as in, in fellowship, it helps me worship as an individual. But when everything we do is designed to to create worship for an individual instead of worship for a group, I think we're, we're missing something. Songbooks do the same thing. I'm so glad we've moved away from songbooks, but I wish we hadn't moved toward a screen. You know what I wish we'd do? Memorize the songs. Memorize the songs so that you can actually look at one another. When I'm telling you the story of Jesus, as Elijah read those words to us this morning, I'm actually looking at you to tell you the story of Jesus. Even, and don't, don't crucify me after I say this, but even the tradition of quiet reflection versus discussion, it's not a mandated thing in Scripture. You know, we, we gather to remember the Lord around this table. And I know we, 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 I admitted my own faults in doing that in our Bible class this morning and how I struggle with that. But let me tell you something. I knew of a group one time that instead of, they were meeting in a cafeteria. And they weren't in pews. They were gathered around tables. And so what they did when they, when they took the Lord's Supper, they would take baskets back to their table and they would have discussions around the table regarding the Lord and remembering what he did. And it was a, it was a discussion of remembrance instead of a quiet, eyes closed, head down, closed in to myself type reflection. Would that come with certain difficulties? Absolutely. You know, with, with me being able to hear what they said over here and not hear what's saying at my table and all that. Yeah, I mean, every way we do it has difficulty. But let me tell you, one thing I appreciate about that is that that is fellowshipping in worship instead of it just being about me. And I am convinced the more I study that that's exactly what we see in Scripture. That what, we, what happened in their worship services was not about me closing into myself, but it was about me coming together with God's people with a focus on God. In that example we have in Acts chapter 20, it's interesting. Paul spoke until midnight. Eutychus falls out the window. And then it says in verse 11, after going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating... Paul talked with them a long time until dawn, and then he left. He talked with them, not at them, not to them, not lectured. He talked with them, and we've talked about that recently. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, just read starting in verse 26. It tells it, well, let's skip down. If anyone speaks in another tongue... 
There are to be only two and at most three each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, that person to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak and the other should evaluate. But if someone has been, but if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, uh, the first prophet should be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. Now, skip back with me to verse 26. When, what then, brothers and sisters? Whenever you come together, each one has a hymn. Each one of you has a teaching. Each one has a revelation. Another has a tongue or an interpretation. Let everything be done for edification. Preaching wasn't about one man getting up and speaking, but it was about a congregation of people sharing God's message together. And while I know we don't have spiritual gifts and we're not having people get up and speak in tongues and someone else get up and interpret, do we all have an understanding? Have we all been studying through the word of God this week? Have we all grown just a little bit in the way that we have, uh, have devoted ourselves to the Lord this week? Shouldn't we all have something to share with each other? That's what the example is in scripture. You know, we already referenced Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, Colossians 3, or excuse, 5.16 and Colossians 3. No, I got that right. 5.19, Colossians 3.16. There it is. So we, we know those verses, right? We, we've grown up reading those verses. It is interesting to me that while we know intellectually we are singing to one another, how many of us actually feel like we're doing that? I don't. Maybe you do. And you are welcome to teach me. Please. But I don't. I, I, there are many times when I sing songs of praise to God where I feel that connection, where, I, where I, I, I actually feel as if I am praying to God. And I know worship isn't only about feelings. That's not my point. But it is about intention and what we're doing and how we're practicing things. And I should be in those songs teaching you something. And you should be teaching me. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We talk about the Lord's Supper. And it says here, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a fellowship or a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing or fellowship in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to come together and share something with one another. We're not just communing with God in the, in the communion, in the Lord's Supper, but we are communing, we are coming together and sharing something with one another in that practice. Do we do that? Do we actually focus not just on our memories of God, but also focus on what we are sharing with one another? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 3. 
I can testify that according to their ability, even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of fellowshipping in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. That collection they gathered together in Corinth, the the example they are given is what the Macedonians did. You know what the Macedonians did? They gave themselves to us. Sounds like a far cry from dropping a check in a collection plate. Sounds like there was more to it than that. That it wasn't merely a, let's drop a check in a bank account, but it was a, hey brother, how can I serve you this week? That's what their collection was about. How can I be involved with you? How can I give myself to you? Prayer's the same way. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 again. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 16. Here we're told, I thank God that I speak in other tongues. Uh, That's not it. That's 18. 16. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you're saying? The idea here is that when they prayed, they were to be able to be involved in the prayer and understand the prayer and say amen or I agree or absolutely that's what needs to be done to the prayer, that it was something that they prayed together. In Acts chapter 4, I'm still absolutely bumfuddled by what it means as a congregation to, in one voice, raise our voices together and speak words to God seems much more communal than it does individual. And in everything we do, it should be done for edification. That's really the, 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 primary, the primary answer. I was so encouraged a few weeks ago, might be a few months ago now, the way our last month has been, well, I got together with the elders, and we were talking about several different things and several different ideas, and, and, and I, I believe it was more than one of the elders just made the point of what we do doesn't matter as much as that what we do is edifying to the family. I love that. That idea, you know, obviously we're not going to make decisions that would pull us away from the truth that's in God's word. But if our primary concern is bringing glory to God and bringing edification to the saints, we will do well. We will make right decisions. They might be different decisions. They might be something we've never thought of before. But worship is fellowship and we need to make sure that what we do in worship involves one another you know that requires us not neglecting the assembly and i'm going to be as bold and blunt as i can be on this the assembly that we're not to neglect is not sunday morning at this particular time it is saints gather we 
gather. I don't know how to be more plain spoken than that. God's standard is not show up at least once a week so that you got your job done. God's standard is show up so that you may serve and be served by my people. That's the standard, whenever that is. We have a gospel meeting coming up next month, Saturday and Sunday. It's different than we've done before because we're having four lessons on a Saturday. That's a long day together. But it should be in together. And I certainly hope you put it on your calendar and you're ready to come and it's something that's going to be a big part of your life. I know, one Saturday, not a big deal. Come. Come be a part of what we're trying to accomplish. Come be a part of the work. Come be, be encouraged and come serve others. Because in Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, it doesn't just say show up. What it says is come to stimulate one another to love and good work and encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That, that's the job. Did you notice that when they assemble, they had a job to do to one another? That's fellowship and worship. That they are to stimulate one another? Let me ask, after this meeting, after we say our final prayer, are you going to walk around and have conversation about work this week? Are you going to walk around and have conversations about serving one another this week? Or about, hey, what are you doing that I can do more of? Or how are you affecting your community so that I can copy that and affect my community more? Or how can I serve you? Those are the conversations we should be having. Because our job is to stimulate one another to love and good work and to encourage one another. That requires purpose and intention and being devoted to one another. It requires that we create opportunities for involvement. I, 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 wish, I wish we had more opportunities for more of us to grow both public and private service. And, and to be honest, that just means we need to create some. Doesn't mean they're not there, it just means we're not taking full advantage of the opportunity and the gifts that we have sitting in these padded pews. We need to be serving, we need to find ways, we need to, each one of us, determine to do our part. Each one of us decide, you know what, I know I fail in this way, I'm gonna do more, or hey, I know I'm actually gifted in this area. How can I use that to serve my family here? How can I use that to bring glory to God? Hey, can I work together with this person? Can I go discourage this, this depressed person? Can I, what is it that I can discourage? Encourage the depressed person, because we don't want to discourage the depressed person. You know, that, that is, that's what we should be doing. we are as a, as a church, it's not only about me. And what I do when I gather together with my family here is not get myself into the zone of worship and nobody bother me. But it is about coming together 
and being what we're intended to be. Turn with me to one more passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I just skipped a slide, so if you have blanks on your page, I'm sorry about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I, I want to point out something to you here in this passage that, that I think is important. Verse 17 says, Now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. You recognize that verse, I'm sure right before he moves into talking about the way that they were ne uh, neglecting the Lord's Supper and the purpose of the Lord's Supper, and they weren't really taking of it in the right mind and with the right intention and with, with the right purpose. Now, it's interesting to me, did you notice what they were doing wrong? First of all, they, they weren't focused on doing it together. And I think sometimes the way we take the Lord's Supper, as long as we're in our little zone, we think we're good to go. That, that, that's not according to Paul here. But he says, you know, you come together. Physically, you have assembled. You are in the same space. But you're in the same space doing poorly. Now listen to the fix. The fix is found later in the chapter, verse 33. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together, so here's how to fix it. When you come together to eat, welcome one another. Now, my point here is not that we need to get better at handshaking. It's not that we need to get better at how you're doing. It's not that we need to get better at, at making sure we say hey to everybody but that's about as far as our conversation goes. The point is this. When we come together, it is not merely about coming before God and his throne and praising his name, although I think that is important. But it's about welcoming one another. It's about being together. It's about being a unit, a family, a body, a flock, a community. It is about being for each other what God intends for us to be. And that requires that we come with the goal of welcoming one another. Making one another feel welcome and a part of who we are. That is as much a part of what we do when we assemble and when we worship as anything else. And we need to make sure that we get that right. It is a great opportunity we have as God's people to encourage and lift and pride and, and, and hold one another up and to create strength in one another. And I tell you, that's what we should be focusing on. All that begins with becoming a child of God in the first place. Because one of the most difficult things to do is to go and be a part of a group that you're not actually a part of, where you don't feel welcome, where you don't feel any sort of devotion, where you don't feel any sort of connection. That's hard. 
And that's not God's intention. God's intention is that you be, that this be not just a group of people that you're involved with, but that this be a group of people that you are intimately connected to. And that, that's what I offer to you. If you're not a child of God, that, that begins by becoming a child of God, becoming a part of the family, becoming a part of the same group of people that we are, a group of people led by God. You do that through repenting and confessing and being baptized. But for the rest of us, I tell you, I've learned over the years being connected, being intimately devoted to a group of people requires being continually devoted to fellowship, to relationship, to that community. And I encourage you if, if you if you don't feel that connection, if you're not really a part of the group, if you find yourself on the fringe and and not really kind of pulled in to, to the center, let me know. I guarantee you I'm going to work on pulling you in because I want us to all be truly connected. It's a great opportunity to become a child of God or, or to become a part of God's people. And I encourage you, if you've not done so, do it today. If you need the invitation to get your life right in some way, please come forward as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's Word with us, Please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.